0: Space Radio. Roger, restart. Three, two, one. Mark. It's now time for The Space
1: Revolution with Rick Tomlinson. Hey there, Spacers. Welcome back to another episode of The Space Revolution. My name is Rick Tomlinson, and you are listening to iRock Space Radio. We are part of the iHeart Radio Network. Tonight we have. Uh, a great guest his name is Dr. Chance Glenn he's the founder of the Morningbird Foundation and it's chairman of and uh, chairman of the board of directors he's also a tenured professor of electrical engineering and uh, the provost and vice president of academic affairs at the University of Houston Victoria Dr. Glenn holds a degree in electrical engineering from the University of Maryland a master's and PhD degree PhD from electrical engineering in uh, Johns Hopkins. And he also, just to, cause that wasn't enough, he went ahead and got a management development certificate from Harvard. Now, Dr. Glenn is an expert in many things. He's a renaissance guy, and we're gonna have a renaissance conversation. We're gonna meander all over the place. Um, and uh, you've had me heard me have these kinds of conversations before, but um, I think it's important that we understand that those of us, the, the nerds and geeks of us out there um, who may not be able to focus in and say, hey, we've got attention deficit or we have all kinds of interests or we are wanting to create here, here and here. There's a role for us. It's called leadership. And Dr. Glenn manifests that. Welcome and thank you for coming to the show.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, you. Built me up quite a bit, so I have to deliver. <laughs> thanks thanks for having me on, Rick. It was great when I met you the first time, and uh, look forward to having this conversation with you. Yeah, well,
1: look, um, I should say the first time we did meet was uh, um, last year. Um, we had you in for the uh, New Worlds Conference and the Space yep. Cowboy Ball, where one Gwen Shotwell, mm-hmm. who won the Space Cowgirl Award mm-hmm. and is the uh, – CEO of a little company called SpaceX, presented you with the Permission to Dream Award. And we gave you that award because you are such a leader um, and inspirer. And we're going to come back to talking about that leadership and that inspiration here in a minute. But I just want to nerd out to start. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about faster than light and time warp travel and this stuff you're working on because it blew my mind. We had you and a couple of your compatriots uh, do a session at the end. Yeah. Um, We got a lot of good feedback on that, um, which ranged from what the hell are they talking about to, Oh my God, this is real. So help us understand. We're talking about what you see on star Trek, what you see on shows like that. Often, obviously it's Hollywood. So they, Mm -hmm. they warp it all puns intended. Um, Tell us about it. What is it you're well, working
0: on? Interestingly enough, Star Trek, uh, they they employed a lot of uh, technical advisors, uh, many of which were with uh, NASA at the time. So a lot of the things that they talked about had some basis in reality and if not uh, so much uh, actual you know, science fact. But I've always been enamored with Star Trek. Even some of the other technology I've developed is in related to that. I did a show one time talking about 10 uh, technologies inspired by Star Trek. And one of them is warp drive. Now, um, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking about this stuff, but it goes back to, you know, start with, uh, you know, Einstein's general relativity and the whole notion that gravity itself is not a force, but instead it is a consequence of us living in curved space time. And very massive objects or even highly energetic uh, objects uh, have the potential to bend space time. And therefore we fall into that object. And that's what, gravity is. They've proven this now that, you know, Einstein just basically had a thought experiment, which he often did, and, you know, uh, really formulated all of these ideas from it. But they've proven it now through some of the measurements uh, out in astronomy, like with light bending around very Massive objects uh, So that's that th- that tells us That it is possible to do so So then comes along a guy Named uh, Miguel Alcubierre Who wrote out A mathematical metric It's called, and a metric is just Basically a, a, a measure Of space and time And where you are, he developed a metric That said if you could bend Space-time in this Manner, then you could Propel yourself At enormous speeds. And, um, you know, he he not only that solved what the energy density requirements would be uh, and what would actually happen to space time uh, as it were. Then another uh, gentleman who is a good friend of mine now is Sonny White came along Mm -hmm. and said, uh, here are some ways to reduce the energy density requirements down from the combined energy in, in the entire universe to something manageable. And he did that. So here's a key problem. Key problem was the energy density requirement called for a negative energy. Now mm. I know you've been around a lot of people who protrude negative energy, but that's we can't <laughs> tap that. Um, no one really knows what negative energy was. So many people are chasing different ideas. Uh, some being uh, 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 dark matter or exotic matter, or and even Doctor White is looking at Casimir effect in at a quantum level. So there's a lot of different ways now. Here's my contribution to all of this. The energy density requirement has an equation that essentially says the function that you use to shape the space time. It's a there's a square of that term. And then there's a big negative sign in the front. Okay. well, I'm an electrical engineer by background. And I understand about complex numbers that under the right conditions, you, you square a imaginary number and you get a negative number. And then when you multiply a negative number times a negative number, you get a positive number. So if you can introduce this complex variable into this equation, then you could make the energy requirement positive. And that's what I did mathematically and Mm. did simulations mathematically to show it. The next step was, okay, how could you actually realize this? Well, again, I'm a RF engineer, which means, you know, radio frequency, high frequency electromagnetics. You know, I looked at this and said, well, there are dielectric materials out there that have interesting properties and some of which... Are, have complex numbers to, to their dielectric constant. They're called lossy materials. And so I started looking at that and lo and behold, I found a material that operates at a frequ- at the frequency of interest that I was looking at and has the property needed to do it. So the question is why does it require a complex material? in order to do this, to turn this negative energy requirement positive. So one side thing I did, I started investigating where did complex numbers come from? Mm. And before, before we were using symbols for mathematics, centuries, centuries, centuries ago, mathematics was done more by geometry. So a, a square would actually be a square. And if you said two squares, two two X squared would be two squares put together. OK. Mm-hmm. And and okay. that's how they did mathematics. The problem was there's a whole interesting thing going on that. <laughs> let me just throw this in. OK. Back in the day, mathematic mathematicians used to compete for positions in universities. And the way they would compete was that I would come to you and say, here is a problem If you can't solve this, then I can take your job and you would vice versa have such a thing. Right. And that's how people kept their jobs or competed for jobs. So it would it would actually behoove you to have a unsolvable problem in your back pocket just in in case somebody came along to take you out. And you said, aha, solve this. Well, this cubic problem. Was a, you know, this is like X to the third power solution was something nobody could solve. And this guy, and I, I don't recall his name at the time, he solved it and had it in his back pocket. And it sat there for centuries because, well, I shouldn't say centuries, decades, because his, his student eventually unleashed it. But this the important solution there was a complex, not the creation of a complex number to to try to determine how to solve for a negative space. That's okay. that's what now I didn't know this before I embarked on my approach to the solution. I learned this afterwards, but I find it interesting that a problem that required a, 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 a complex number to solve a negative space. Space is now could be used to solve a requirement for negative energy now. And it kind of all fits together. So let me just sum up the complex number uh, value in the shaping function is necessary to have a solution for the energy density that is positive and therefore actually realizable. So now the next step was to go to an experiment. I'm sitting in my lab now. As a matter of fact, right over there, I'm pointing. You probably can't see it if it's just audio. But over behind me, there's a setup that I'm working on that would help me to measure to see if I can actually distort space time with this uh, particular approach. And I can talk about the measurement technique, which is something that has just kind of hit the news recently, uh, if, if you like. But I'll yeah, I, I sure I and could s- take a breath here. <laughs> yeah.
1: So obviously you're excited by it, and and you yeah. should be. So for those of us listening who maybe aren't as mathematically inclined or in, in physics, um, by the way, you know I'm. You're saying this, and I'm remembering that, what was that Matt Damon movie where the, they have the, uh, yeah. the equation and, and, you know, and he's like the janitor and he walks over and he goes, oh, oh yeah, Is that he fills uh, it in. Right. And uh, not um, beautiful. yeah, not beautiful mind, but maybe uh, that was I, I don't know what it, it was. Something like yeah, that. One of those kind yeah. of movies. Right. But mm-hmm. the, the point was because uh, he didn't know what he didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was inclined that way um, in terms of being able to put these numbers together. He, he created yeah. a solution. And um although you have a, a vast basis of knowledge, you're approaching this field where people are struggling with these equations, mm-hmm. and you're kind of rolling in and going, well, why not try this? Yeah, right. that's right. And and, and so that's part one, just to sort of decodify what you just said. So part yes. one is, these people have all these fancy equations, mm-hmm. and what you may not realize, my spacer friends, uh, uh, those of you who are kind of a little bit outside the field, is everything we do in engineering and 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 physics and and these fields can be boiled down to mathematical equations mm. and has to be mm. and it's you know, it's like, hey, if we take these two molecules, um, with which produce this kind of energy, and we blend them over here with these molecules, and we add this, mm-hmm. and according to my mathematical equations, we're going to get something positive out of it. And so that's why Dr. Glenn has just been talking about all of these equations is that they are the written intellectual manifestations of the physical world.
0: Yes, and if yes. you can
1: control yes. those written manifestations of the physical world um then the next step which is what we're about to go into when we come back from the break is you're taking these numbers that say hey this should happen if we do this according to the numbers now let's go see yes and that's where we are right so we're going to take a break you are listening to irock space radio my name is rick tomlinson we're on the iHeartRadio network, and our guest is the brilliant Dr. Chance Glenn. We'll be right back. All right, spacers, we are back with the space revolution. My name is Rick Tumlinson. You are listening to the iRock Space Radio Station, part of the iHeartRadio network. And our guest is Dr. Chance Glenn. Dr. Glenn and I were having a very interesting discussion. Or Actually, he was explaining, and I was trying to follow... <laughs> A very complicated conversation about mathematical equations that have to do with enabling the possibility of being able to utilize, manipulate or interact with what we would call space time. Mm -hmm. And the ability to, in a sense, and it's uh, in a sense, be able to have faster than light travel. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about the equations. Mm
0: -hmm. You've got us all the way through all of that. Well let me let me say something about just mathematics just briefly. Yes, of course. Yeah, dive you, in. You, mm-hmm. you 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 alluded to this. Uh, you know I te- I teach it every now and then and uh, one thing I tell my students is that mathematics is a language and mm-hmm. what we're doing when we learn it is learning the syntax and we're learning uh how to apply it to the situation. Uh why? Because it's a universal language that allows us to communicate certain truths consistently uh with others and to be then be able to repeat those things uh, because that's part of the scientific method is is to be repeatable so mathematics is just such a language now as you know with any language there's better ways to communicate ideas than others uh because it all is about ideas and our Mm -hmm. interpretation of reality and everything and so we write equations to 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 uh, we've been living for for hundreds of years off the notion that that uh, gravity was a force, you know, F equals M. A. And and all that, you know, it's it's not really a force. Uh, it's uh, a consequence of a geometry and that and the mathematics was finally de- developed. And now we speak from those mathematics. And that's that's the language part. Of all of this. But once you're there, you go from mathematics, and at least my process, I go to simulation next and say, okay. all right, uh, I'll I, say, so I, you know, right after mathematics, you then model it. To see like in things like MATLAB, I take these equations, I run them through, I see what it looks like. And I've done that in one of the papers I've written and some of the stuff that's now online. And now I'm at the point of simulating, and there's some really advanced simulation tools. And then from there, experiments uh, based upon all of this. So that's the process I'm taking. But that's that's where we are. So the key point of it was this complex Material, and what I mean by complex is one that has a uh, imaginary and a real part, and that's what this dielectric needed to be. And now I fill this chamber with this dielectric material, so now everything inside is living under that condition. So then, when I, my point is going to be introducing a, a RF waveform, electromagnetic. RF stands for radio frequency. Waveform into that material uh, with enough energy uh, that it will focus the RF signal, the waveform, the energy down to a point where perhaps it can then uh, distort space time somewhere in the center of that chamber. Okay, so
1: yeah. Let me translating a little bit or just Mm. trying to get that a little bit so you've got a chamber what what kind of material is it it's a gas correct or,
0: uh actually it's a liquid and believe it or not it's a pretty simple liquid that we're what, what, all very familiar with might i ask it's called ethylene glycol but most of us know it as antifreeze
1: okay so taking the antifreeze out of my car you put it in this thing <laughs> which is you know we're in the winter so but anyway yeah. i'll let you have it and and so you've got this ethylene glycol and now you're getting ready to aim RF, which is basically radio waves mm-hmm. at it
0: in a focused way to make something in, happen. Right. So that's where we chamber. are. Yes. Okay, go ahead. All right. So so now how do we know if something happens? That's the other part of this measurement. The measurement side of it is a part of this experiment now. And what we would need to do is very measure very, very sensitive changes because from my, you know, back of the envelope calculations, you need an enormous amount of energy just to get a little bit of uh, distortion to happen. So how do I measure a little bit mm-hmm. of distortion? Um, well, there's something called an interferometer. And what what some of you may know, or have heard about this is that they're using it to measure gravity waves right now. Uh, LIGO is the acronym. Uh but it is basically a laser that interferes with itself. A light beam is a wave, so you can see interference patterns as a result. But it's a you know, fairly, it's not very complex setup, but it's one that a laser goes through a splitter, it splits into two, then you bounce them off of mirrors and have them recombine at a screen. And when they recombine and you set the conditions just right, you will see these fringes on the screen. Now, these fringes are on the order of the wavelength of the light. And the laser that I'm using is about five hundred and thirty two nanometers, which is really, really, really small. Ten to the minus nine is nano. Um, so smaller than a, a, a micrometer, smaller than a millimeter, really tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is movement at all, I should be able to detect that movement if it's on the order of a few nanometers. If it's bigger than that, that's great. But even if it's small as a few nanometers movement, then I would be de- able to, to detect it because I'm going to put my device down in the center uh, of that beam. And then mm-hmm. I'm pumping it with the RF. As I mentioned, if there is some change, because the beam will be going through the center of the chamber. If there's some change in the space time that you'll see the fringes react. That's the, So experiment. let me ask you this.
1: I'm going to mm-hmm. show my ignorance here. So you're splitting the laser. Mm-hmm. Now is one part of that, a control Yes, and, and the other yes. is going to go through the, the system. Yeah. Right? So you're putting right. the laser in two. Mm-hmm. One of them is just the normal laser doing its normal laser thing. And then the other one is what you're sending into your experiment. Mm-hmm. And then they recombine. Mm-hmm. And then there's some, maybe some haze or blur or whatever around the edges Maybe no. that's not the right word for it. What is it? The, well, it's called some, it in, dist-
0: interference. They're they're An going interference. Interference. There's some cancellation other. going on. Yeah, they that's right. They cancel each other out at certain places. In the places where they cancel each other out, you see dark rings, and where they add together, you see bright rings.
1: Right. And that tells you that the laser that's gone through the experimental medium, something's happening.
0: No, no, not yet. Okay, help me out. Go ahead. If you have no device in there at all, you'll still see the interference fringes. Okay. Now, what I'm looking for is, so everything being equal, you'll just see stable picture of fringes on the screen. Got it. Now, if I began pumping this RF chamber and I'm gonna pulse it so that I know I'm what I'm doing versus what basically you could be shaking the table and see changes. But mm-hmm. I wanna, I'm going to pulse it at a regular rhythm so I know that if there are changes and I see those changes in the fringes pulse at the same rate of my RF, then I know I'm doing it. Okay, there you go. So okay. you want to look for changes in the fringes. Now, the setup I have has a little knob on it that you can change the position of the mirror ever so slightly. Back and forth. And if you do that, you're changing the length and you'll see the fringes move. Mm-hmm. So now that's fixed. The only other thing that will change effective distances will be my device if it is indeed changing space time dimensions. And wow. that's what I'm going to be looking for. OK, my head just exploded. <laughs> um, and anyway, let me let me say something else. Yeah, keep going. This, keep this going, is very man. This is, important. Uh, this this is part is stuff. very important. Because what, what happens most of the time when people talk about this and they start saying we want to travel faster than light. They think about a starship going through space at a now. I in the lab, I don't want anything moving faster than light because I can't see it. I can't measure it. I can't, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm I want to just see if I can get a little bit of a distortion. So the equations for the energy, the, the amount of energy is tied directly to the velocity that you want to travel at squared. Well, think about how big of a number that is. If I want to yeah. go two or three times the speed of light, you take that number, which is three times 10 to the eighth meters per second and square that, that becomes nine times 10 to the 16. That's the, that impacts the energy. But guess what? I don't want to go that fast. So I can Mm. go really, really, really slow. I just want to see the distortion happen. So that means that the energy requirement will not be as great as for somebody who wants to go, you know, multiple times the speed of light. And this I just want to be the first to experimentally Mm. verify that you can distort space time artificially. Right. Land. So
1: so what you're looking at and people who've been following the news just heard this this whole thing about fusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what could- you're looking at is like you are not you're not going from experiment to, hey, I'm going to power your house. Yeah. You are just looking for the most minute possible indication yes, that you are on the right track, just like the tiniest, tini- in your case, like beyond tiny, right? And right. As is the case with the nuclear, right? Or, or the fusion. So all you're looking for is just the indication you're on the right track. That's not, right. Yeah. You're not... Boom. You're not going. Yeah, I'm not trying to
0: build a starship yet. But once you do that, then, okay, now I could actually begin to develop a a relationship between the input power and how much distortion I can create. And now you can scale it. You could begin to scale it to say, all right, well, I need a chamber that's as big as houses ship. This is how Mm -hmm. much power I'm going to need to actually make it move at any Given speed. It's interesting that you bring up fusion. <clears throat> I'm, I'm working with a, a gentleman out of Atlanta. Uh, you've, you talked to as a matter of fact, he was on the panel with me, a guy named Greg Hodgkin. Mm-hmm. What he's trying to, what he's postulated with his group is that space time distortion can help to enable a stable fusion reaction. Uh, By bringing the uh, atoms, uh, the molecules and atoms closer together, the elements of the atom closer together. So now when you you can achieve fusion more easily and uh, a more stable situation. So he's chasing that down. But an enabling technology would be if you could indeed distort space time in a uh, specified way. That's that's what so so we're we've been talking he has some proposals out uh he's raising some money on on his end to do it uh but it's a it's an interesting uh prospect and you could imagine other things now think about it people always talk about okay traveling around the speed of light but what if we were just traveling around at you know up 1% of the speed of light <laughs> you know that's way faster than anything we've ever done and just suppose that our Propulsion systems were based on this now as opposed to uh, fuel, uh, rocket fuel and uh, other types of things just to get back and forth even around our own planet uh, yeah. it, it, or getting to the moon in, in minutes as opposed to days and or hours and getting to Mars in weeks as opposed to months. And, you know, so we don't have to go full 10 times the speed of light and start heading to Alpha Centauri. But everything, every technology has a basis. And then you start building on it as time goes by.
1: Right, right, right. So walk before you run. And mm-hmm. so, look, I, this is incredible stuff. Uh, my mind is just blowing moment by moment here, as I'm sure some of the listeners are. Um, so we're going to come back. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and uh, uh, talk about a couple other things here. I want to mm-hmm. I want to wrap this part up when we come back and then get into some, some other stuff you're doing or have done. All right. Welcome back. I have Dr. Chance Glenn. We are talking about an incredible set of ideas that involve the ability to travel faster than the light. And as Dr. Glenn was saying before the break, this means you could travel through the solar system in, you know, days rather than months. Um, eventually getting up to the, uh, you know, warp speed Scotty moment. (laughs) But, um, it's incredible work, and what where do you see this going? Uh, I kind of want to wrap up this idea and get on to yeah. some other things. so yeah. where do you see this going next what 's you know how how long how far away is this?
0: yeah, well, well, first of all, let me say that just just a quick input that uh, the way that uh, Dr. Cubieri formulated his metric was that inside this bubble quote unquote The passengers would not feel the effects of that can that go along with moving beyond the speed of light, time dilation, compression, all the other things that that go along with it. So that's that's a beautiful consequence Mm. of it. And and perhaps not even the inertia of acceleration, because inside the bubble, you're actually not moving. It is space time that is moving around you. So all of the things that inertia where you feel when you're being pulled back by acceleration, uh, those things won't happen according to 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 his uh, formulation. So that's that's another interesting uh, thing as well. Now, you talked about when. Well, I'm in the midst of doing the analysis, uh, doing the simulations and developing the experiment. And uh, I've gotten very well down the road in some of the first experiments uh, at least setting up some of the first experiments. So within uh, weeks, I have some answers uh, that I need to know. Now the thing that is probably going to be the most critical is how much uh, power will I need to see any type of response? And hopefully it's something within the realm of you know, possibilities in this lab or even some other lab. I know Dr. White has offered to utilize his lab space. He's got some things I don't quite have here. Uh, and then there's others who can come along. And I love hearing from people. I've already gotten some, because this articles have, have got gotten out. Uh, some of the interviews I've done has, has started seeing itself on uh, in the news and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm starting to get contacted by people. Uh, and some are... Interesting, and some are not so much. But you know, who knows what uh, type of uh, collaboration and relationships could be formed to do this if that happened? So I do invite people to 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 reach out with their thoughts. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so one of the things you're going to hear is, "What about Einstein? Mm. You know, Einstein said you can't go faster than light.
0: Yeah, you're not really doing that. But you're not really explain that for just a minute." Yeah, you're not you're not violating the uh, cosmic speed limit. And some people actually question that, too, but I won't get into all of that. But you're not violating that notion because uh, you're actually not moving it is space-time moving around you, And there's already been a verification that space-time can move faster than light. That's, you know, connected to what people have done around the Big Bang theory and, and all of that, basically saying that that space-time itself is moving and expanding at speeds far in excess of the speed of light. So space-time can move. It's just that the real objects within it cannot move beyond the speed of light. So therefore, and then another thing is what is, what is not clearly understood is, you know, what it takes to open wormholes and uh, things like that, where you're basically, you know, uh, s- splitting space time or opening up sections of space time. It's not really known about that. I mean, they know, again, high gravitational, uh, high mass objects uh, can do that where it collapses upon itself and black holes. And th- we know black holes exist because we've now observed them. So all these things that Einstein postulated about bending space time have been verified in reality. Mm-hmm. So my point is, at small levels, perhaps we can do some of these things ourselves. That's great. So you are
1: obviously um, embarking on some very leading edge stuff here. Um I guess my my last question before we leave this, um, are you finding because science is about replication, are you mm-hmm. finding people that are able to replicate your work or build on it or finding conclusions that align with the stuff you're coming up with in different parts of the world?
0: I, I'm not at that point uh, because to me. I think the experimental verification is the real thing. You know, mm-hmm. there are people could look at my, the paper I put out and look at the mathematics. It's not really that complicated a mathematics and, and it is, it either is or it isn't right. That The mathematics works. The question is, can you actually do some sort of measurable experiment to show that it indeed does what you say? And um, I'm yet to find that once I do and, publish it, uh, then there'll be, I'm sure there'll be tons of people looking to replicate uh, what I'm doing and verify what I'm doing. You can imagine the arguments and, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, I say the proof, the proof is in the pudding. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you can show that you're actually are distorting space time, then it's just, where do you go from there? Where, how much more energy do you require to do something bigger or better or or what have you? So, um, so the next step for
1: you is going to be to Get something in the lab, Mm -hmm. document everything you've done, Mm -hmm. and then publish it out in the world. And then other scientists around the world, physicists, scientists will either duplicate it or not be able to duplicate it. Yes. And that's when the, the next level of fun begins, right? That's and, when the next uh,
0: level, because then it's about, OK, scaling and then applications there with mm-hmm. everything else you could do. And could you make something move as a result of doing it? And can you make, you know, can you make it big enough to encompass something meaningful? And, you know, what other things could you do if you could locally distort space time briefly or whatever? What else could you do? All of right. that is going to be on the table. So um, I just want to get the basis and the fundamental uh, piece down. And and look, I'm not the only one working on this. As I mentioned, Dr. White, he's looking at it at a quantum level. Uh, I know there's a gentleman named uh, Eric Lenz out in uh Washington State who's taking another tack and I mentioned our friend uh Greg Hodgkin and his group and uh he's got some people out of the University of Alabama, Huntsville who are looking at some uh some other ways uh to do this. And so I'm just taking a tack that I recognized and thought, Hey, well why don't we try that? And that's where it is. Yeah, but and that's that's it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that this is just one of those kind of feelings that, you know, things have falling into place right correctly. You know, it just kind of feels a little bit like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you never know. And, and look, I'm going to do the experiments. I'm going to take my results. I'm going to publish what I see and then let the world decide. I mean, I may I may find that there is no effect, at least for what I'm able to do. And. We have to understand why why not if it doesn't work.
1: Right, right. But but here's here's the thing. You coming from a all a very interesting background, have arrived at a place where you are challenging some of the basic tenets hmm. of of physics and our understanding of our, our place in, in the universe. Yeah. If you are successful, the universe opens up. Yeah. Like we're going. We're going big time. And that's one reason I'm very excited, but I am also intrigued by how you got to this place. I mean, you mm. have a very interesting background um, and you you are kind of like that guy coming in from left field and going, ah, you know, here's the <laughs> right. equation. I see your equation. Why don't you try this? Right. And, mm. and it's, I think it's partially because you have sort of a Renaissance mind, right? You, mm. you are you are um, uh, the kind of person who doesn't uh, limit your possibilities and, and mm-hmm. limit your ability to enter intellectual conversations or interactions on anything. That's that's who you are. And um, I want to hear a little bit about that. I, you, you had you had mentioned earlier when we were, we were talking that um, mm-hmm. you came from southern Alabama, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah well, t- tell us a little about that. How that all how, how you end up here. All right. Well, you know, and and there's a tie into everything you asked. I'm going to see if I can't get there. Um, Okay. First of all, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, uh, around the time that there were, you know, racial riots in the 60s uh, and uh, our family. And my father was a policeman and he basically packed up all eight of us kids and we rode on the back of a U-Haul truck (laughs) down to Alabama with our grandma to be with our grandmother, who was also raised, uh, not raising but taking care of her aging father. So grandmother and a great-grandparent, that all of us. And I was the youngest of eight of us that that grew up there. Now, uh, you know, so we didn't have a lot. We we were basically in a cinder block house that was no bigger than you know this room that I'm in right now, and all of us piled up in there, and that's how we grew up. Now we. Uh, figured it out, and that was part of the what I'm talking about. It's just that almost making a way out of no way, as some people say. Whether it was the toys we played with, the things we did, we had to come up with it. We had to create it. So I think that creative aspect was there. Then the 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 point about not giving up was built into it because if you wanted to have something, you had to figure it out, and you had to come up with it yourself. And that, mm-hmm. that's how it worked for us. And then finally, and this is the aspect that is very important. It sounds simple, but it's very important. And that is courage or what I should say, lack of fear. So not f- fear of not trying things, fear of not making that next step, fear of not walking through that door, fear of not asking this person this question or or even putting yourself in a certain situation. Fear can keep you from a lot of. Uh, opportunities, mm. and that you know is is one of the things I think that is a distinctive about me. So, so I like to just try everything, and I'm not afraid to try. To, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid for people to say, "Oh, what were you doing? That's ridiculous." I just try it, and if it works, it works. So that's a that's a, a powerful part of all the other skill sets and abilities and talents and stuff that you have. Fear is the number one dream killer. And so if you just get to the point where you say, I, I don't care whether I fail or not, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. Then that, that creates a lot of uh, opportunity for you.
1: Yeah. And, and you're not saying you're not saying don't have fear because we all have fear. Yeah. It's how you take it, how manage you, it. you how manage it, how you yeah. deal with it, where you put it. Yeah.
0: Right. It's yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I got the fear. I'm going to put it over here out of yeah. my way. Well, fear is important. I mean, that's a protection mm-hmm. mechanism. It keeps us from doing stupid things and getting ourselves killed and, and yeah. all that or, 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 or danger and all that. I mean, that's what fear is for. So it's a necessary thing. But it can also keep you from doing what you are supposed to, or what you're meant to or, or what whatever your abilities may allow you to. Uh, it can keep you. From experiencing something that you need to experience, uh, even failure, which you you know, as you know, I mean, failure is a number one teacher. You know, you, you don't really learn something from succeeding; you learn a lot more from failing. You learn what not to do, and I've failed a lot of times, so <laughs> I am not afraid <laughs> to say. Oh, yeah, um, but you learn something, and and if you can apply those lessons, but you never will learn that if you are afraid to fail, and therefore you never try.
1: Perfect. We're going to wrap this section up with that. My name is Rick Tumless and You are listening to the Space Revolution right here on iRock Space Radio. We are a part of the I Radio network, and we are talking to Dr. Chance Glenn. Not a man who has no fear, a man who has had fear and just put it out of his way. All right, my wonderful spacers, we are back. In the last segment here with Dr. Chance Glenn, we have... Uh, Broken all the laws of physics? No, we didn't really. We didn't break them. We just went around them. Just went around them, officer. You don't have to pull us over for breaking the speed limit. But uh, some incredible work on um, going faster uh, than we have ever thought before, and um, it's, it's very inspirational. and And I love it. And speaking of that, uh, one of your uh, one of the things you do, Doctor Glenn, is the uh, the Morning Bird Foundation. Tell us just a little bit about that, because I, I feel your energy and I gather that you have a way of transmitting that energy to to students and young people. Tell us about Morning Bird.
0: Well, you know, I've done a lot of things, <clears throat> seen a lot of things, been a lot of places. Uh, sounds like a song. But um, I, uh, I first of all, I consider the Morning Bird Foundation as my fountain of good works. It's a place where I want to just do good things for others. And uh, from from the basis of whatever I've been blessed with, what skills I have, and try to share that. I mean, clearly, my background is in sciences, science, technology, engineering, and math, which is the STEM acronym we talk about. Well, the Morning Bird Foundation's major mission is to provide opportunities for STEM education uh, to particularly to underrepresented and underserved communities. And the reason why, and I have this, you know, it's a picture of diversity. And it, interesting, back in Star Trek, I know they started this Mr. Spock, who's my main guy. That's my guy. Uh, and I patterned <laughs> myself. But he had this thing called infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Uh, I know they tried to introduce that. But what that mean, or meant to me is that diversity is a powerful thing. And it is a beneficial thing that we should be leveraging as a society and not vilifying and not even tolerating and not just barely accepting, but we should be leveraging and celebrating diversity in all of its aspects. And diversity means there's diversity of thought. There's new ways to come at a problem, just like what we've been talking about, just because of the background I've had and the experiences I've had, I looked at the same problem that others were looking at from a different way. And that's the that's the benefit of diversity. And you don't know what kind of brilliant minds live in all different situations. And we need to not only cultivate that, but but also benefit from it and cherish it. So that's why I believe in diversity and giving as many people as possible an opportunity to operate in this space of STEM and all that. So the things we do there, we do training. Uh, in, in, in things like 3D printing and robotics and coding uh, and then I do research, which is the basis of some of like what I've been talking about. And I've not only done this research, but others in additive manufacturing materials, 3D printing and stuff like that. And then um, it's also advocacy and scholarships. We award scholarships and we've been doing that over the past year or so uh, to scholarship uh, deserving students in college. And we've done it for universities and students all over the country. So all of that is a mission that is driven from the core of who I am. And so the resources I've developed, you know, I mentioned I work with uh, SpaceX Well, they, as a consultant, where they, they, they support me in that way. And I use those resources to help develop the, the, the foundation and do what I just talked about. Now, of course we need help. So, People can go and visit us uh, at at morningbirdfoundation.org and, you know, support us in any way that you can to do the things that we're doing, including this research I'm talking about. And there's a nice song and you're free to use it if you want to, because I'm a songwriter and singer and all that other stuff. There's a song there (laughs) called Can You Imagine that you will get for free to download if you support us. But the song is also available on Spotify and you know, Apple Music and all those other places. So look it up. Uh, and, and, but it talks about that notion I just mentioned, because uh, could you imagine what our world would be like if we worked together, leveraged all of the value and the beautiful combinations that we have on this planet, if we actually used that to build a better society together? imagine what kind of world we could actually have. And that's what the song is about, but that's also what the mission of the foundation. And that's what that's all about as well. That's
1: a, it's a beautiful
0: vision, beautiful vision. We, we obviously
1: are on that one for sure. Mm. So, all right, I have to ask you the, uh, the heavy questions, It's <laughs> just right. a tradition I have here. And these, these are hardcore questions. So yeah. the first one, I guess, because we just chatted, hit a music moment there. Mm -hmm. Let's say you were, um, in your case, you're not flying over the moon. You're you're flying out into the solar system. You're on your way to Titan, let's say, Mm -hmm. because you're using your drive. Yeah. Right. So flying over the moon would just be, you'd be done, right? Right. Gone. It's it's too fast for this question. So you're cruising on your way out to Titan. You can see the solar system around you. What would you be listening to?
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Um, I'm a jazz, I'm a jazz guy, uh, probably at the core, uh, and not in more of the smooth that, you know, I, I, I have rhythms in my head and I'm, you know, it's always like that. Uh, I'm always got some sort of song going on in the back of my head or rhythm or beat or something. And so it probably would, would be that, you know, as we pick up speed though, it might, you know, might be a little bit of a you know, heavy metal. <laughs> I like that there. transition.
1: So like, yeah. we're going for like uh Bob James, real clue to yeah, something hardcore. Huh? Yeah, I a little like bit it.
0: hardcore. I mean, I, I'm not all into the different groups. I just know the sounds and it's, yeah. of, I'm just about the sound and the moment and, you know, but I, I listen to all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I've, I've written and performed gospel stuff primarily, but, you know, I think, at the Corn Foundation jazz, uh, you know, classical is something that would be in there as well as I kind of settled down.
1: Yeah. Just enjoying it all. Enjoying it all. Yeah, sampling yeah. of humanity. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Cool. And um, who was your uh, most inspirational, if if it was science fiction, science fiction writer or, or or book, either way, that you've read when you were young?
0: Well, I, I remember reading The Green Hills of Earth uh, by uh, Heinlein. Uh, I also mm-hmm. read The High Frontier. Uh, yeah, The High Frontier. Oh, um, yeah. As a, as a, again, but, but you know, I, I've written, I've read all of the Star Trek novels because that's just my jam. That's my thing. <laughs> and anything that, you know, Mr. Spock, because he's the, he's a cool customer. He's the coolest man in the room. He's the smartest man in the room. He's always got to figure it out. And he doesn't play you know, and like I said, I I've worked on my personality. Sometimes, just to almost have that because he's got layers to him. It's not just oh, he doesn't have any emotions because he does. He just suppresses them and and only allows it come out when it's really, really, really important. And uh, you know, and that's 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 my guy. So I, everything you know, I've read a lot of tons of those novels, and uh, you know, that that's that's another. And I've read. Uh, uh, some things on Einstein's life that that mm-hmm. really getting behind all the mathematics and science and everything that he's the physics that he developed and who he was as a person, you know, is another thing. And and of course, a personal hero uh, has to be uh, Dr. King uh, just because of what he did for this society. And I think he showed us a better way, a way that was did not bring about conflict in a way that now he showed the ugliness of humanity, but he responded with peace and love. And that's what taught us a better way. And I believe that was a salvation for our society at that moment. So to do that, again, goes back to what I was talking about earlier, and that's that courage. It takes Mm -hmm. courage to do something like that. Wow, you were just proven you're a renaissance guy
1: because you went from... By the way, you, you checked my boxes, you know. Um, mm. So you, you, you had Heinlein, my old boss, Dr. O'Neill yeah. in the high frontier. Mm. You Spock, Roddenberry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, Einstein, and then King. That, that's that's a
0: good lineup. Yeah, I like that. It's, I, a, I can yeah, dig it's that. like a, a well-rounded uh,
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely, space absolutely. And, um, and I love it because you're bringing it all together here. I guess the last question on that, The serious section there would be. What's your uh, famous science fiction TV show or movie? I think we already (laughs) nailed it. I think I kind of have a slight hint here Uh, that we kind of might know what that is, right? Yeah, of course. Star Wars. No, I'm
0: kidding. No, no, (laughs) don't do that. Uh, No, no, no. And there's a reason why Star Trek, and it isn't just the technology and stuff. It was what the picture of the future that they painted at the time that they did it. Now Mm -hmm. you know. This was in the 60s, as I mentioned, it's tumultuous time. Uh, as a matter of fact, that it was started on the year of my birth, which is also uh, interesting. But, um, you know, in the 60s, y- yet on the bridge command crew, you know, you saw uh, a, a black woman. You saw a uh, Asian or I guess he's Japanese uh, 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 navigator. You saw a Russian. You saw a Scottish engineer uh, an alien uh, first officer all working together and they never really even mentioned it. That's the part that was in the times mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. when, you know, Hora took the, the, the navigator position or when she worked on this, you know, the communication system and basically implies she was an engineer. They never said, Oh, it's great to see you doing this. They never said they just did it. And things like that were very inspirational to see that this is a possible future mm-hmm. uh, where people could have adventures together. That's what, what struck me. And you don't really see that in any of the other things of the time. And so that's what struck me. And then all the other stuff, the, the techno stuff, was just gravy. So um, Absolutely. And I'm still inspired by it. And I like when I see the newer stuff coming harken back to that earliest philosophy that was developed by Roddenberry and, and those creators around him.
1: yeah and it's it's exactly and I resonate with that you know with my Earthlight foundation we have our, our principles and uh, mm, yeah the second that's one cool. is called to honor and evolve human civilization and mm. and that's very important because we honor where you come from who you are what your perspective is and yeah. together we evolve into that sort of that seamless, we are one humanity yeah. approach to the universe, or one, yeah. in Star Trek's case, one sentience, because mm. we have all the beings from all the different mm-hmm. species all, yeah. all coming together, Yeah, because yeah. that's the source of wonder, is these minds that can go out into these beautiful places and explore and experience them together, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what we're all about. And so, we've
0: got to speak to the strength of that. We can't, we have to make sure that people understand it's, it's a powerful position, not a weak position to come from.
1: Tell me a little more about that. What, what are your thoughts on that? What, well, it's, it's just let's wrap up the show here. I yeah, want to sure. hear you lay that out as to where where we are right now, which is a very tense and dangerous time. Uh, fair, th-
0: th- thanks for for asking that, because I, I do have a thought about that, because what, what has happened is that with terms like uh, political correctness and snowflake, and things where, you know, certain elements want to take what is beautiful, what is something that allows us to consider all people and their positions and the way they feel about things and all that, and turn it into some sort of weakness that, but but here's the thing, it takes a lot of courage to be thoughtful, to show mercy and compassion Uh, to not react with violence and anger when you could those that takes courage to not do those things Mm. so we need to almost turn this thing around where it's not a you know think about some of the greatest people in our society you know with different philosophy or whatever religion would have you even go to jesus christ to martin luther king i mentioned gandhi those people who who the amount of courage it took to do those things was greater than it would have been to just say, let me pick up a sword or a gun and and just go at it. So Mm. we have to understand there's courage and strength in, in being considerate and thinking about other people. And, And, and that's a message, but, and another message that since we're talking about space, you know, and the space industry, space economy and all that, First of all, there's only about sixty or seventy people who have ever gone into space in the history of mankind, Um, and you know beyond our you know you know our borders uh, of the Carmen line, I should say. But my my point is this: the 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 blessings of the space economy, the uh, all of these players that are now getting into it. It is important that. Those benefits that come from space exploration are made to benefit all humankind. And I'm going to be doing some things where I'm talking a lot more about that uh, because it's a message not just for the populace. It's a message to those people who are working in this industry to not get so caught up into your discoveries and the money that you're going to make by putting hotels in space and sending people up in balloons and uh, hotels on the moon and, you know, for people that can do it, but how do those things benefit all of humanity? Because if you do do that and if you communicate it well enough, you can get the support of humanity. Right. I, I, um, because I, um, Niels DeGrasse Tyson is a guy I listen to sometimes, and he made a point that the money that we are talking about or the resources we're talking about to telefo- tele, um, uh, terraform Mars. Mm-hmm. We could terraform Earth <laughs> and create a, you know, f- fix climate change and everything else that's impacting our society. So, you know, people are going to say, well, why are we doing all this out there when we could do what we need to do here? But the point is that it should what we do out there should benefit all of humanity. And that mm-hmm. way we can communicate it better. And that's the point I'm trying to make.
1: Yes, absolutely. We, you know, we, we save the mother world and then we go. You know, we carry her out, carry her seeds wherever but we're
0: we But we communicate why it's beneficial to do that to Exactly. Everyone. And that way you exactly. get the support. Yeah. It's not either or. It's both and. It's yes. Yes. All right. Absolutely. So,
1: all right, sir. Amazing, wonderful conversation. We have literally traversed the universe in and out. Of culture and space and time and uh, and broken no laws of physics while doing it. <laughs> At least that we know of. Yes. Had we broken any laws of physics, you would be notified by... <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right, spacers. Thank you for tuning in. This is uh, IROC Space Radio. You have been listening to The Space Revolution. My name is Rick Tomlinson. Our guest has been Dr. Chance Glenn. Tell your friends we are out the airlock.
0: You've been listening to the Space Revolution podcast with
1: Rick Tumlinson, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to radio.com for more.